One and all have your seats. Welcome to the greatest pool showdown in the history of sports. I'm Nick Muniz. This is The Niche. Today on Nick's Nonfiction, R.A. Dyers, the hustler and the champ. My doctor told me I'm too autistic to play pool. I don't pick up on cues. Fats and Moscone were born in the same year, but were vastly different characters. One stood for artistry, the other for show business. One bought dignity to pool, the other made fun of it. They are without a doubt the two most important players to ever hold a cue. This is the ultimate tale of American sportsmanship. Sex is a lot like playing billiards to me. You have a cue, you have balls, you have a hole. The most important rule is the white must not go in the hole. <laughs> Speaking of white... Seaman Clay requested this book. He's been listening for a while now. Clay's an ex-Navy documentary filmmaker. His first film is on YouTube. It's got like a million views. It's about the Navy Special Forces. So Clay is making a documentary about billiards, and he enlisted me to read this book. So shout out, Clay. I wouldn't have read it without you. Let's show some support when that documentary drops. It was Valentine's Day, 1978, and Howard Cosell was hosting the long-awaited showdown between the best-ever tournament, Will Moscone, and the game's most famous hustler, Minnesota Fats. This was the great pool shootout, one of the most highly-rated televised sporting events of the year, exceeding even World Series games and basketball championships. The televised shootout came to embody the rivalry, which was nothing less than a bitter rift within the soul of American pocket billiards. While playing pocket eight ball, my opponent and I shot to see who'd break. There was a lot of lag. <laughs> what two games does Carl Sagan play at the bar? Billiards and billiards. About the author coming right up. About the author R.A. Dyer. R.A. Jake Dyer has reported on pool, its players, and history for three decades. His award-winning journalistic career includes dispatches from Central America, Haiti, Panama, Mexico. At the Houston Chronicle, Dyer was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. Hmm. Wikipedia says billiards was invented by King Louis VI in the 1340. This guy was too lazy to go outside and play croquet, so he requested they made a tabletop version. This is the same reason Americans don't play soccer. Why do all that running when you can play foosball? <laughs> Uh, you dirty Americans, you do not respect football. Are you talking about that table cop game, foosball? We'll get all the history of pool today. This is a really good book. Why are pool tables green, you might be wondering? You'd be green too if somebody racked your balls. <laughs> Yo mama's so dumb, she tried to drown herself on a pool table. We'll be right back. Chapter 1, The Hustler and the Champ, The Rivalry. It is October 22nd, 1977, and the gray-haired Willie Moscone sits regally in his high-backed chair. The chair is long-legged and tall, like a bar stool, except it has padded arms and rests and elevated cushioned seat. It is a sort of chair from which men who play pool can watch their lives unfold. It is the sort of chair designed for men like Willie Moscone, who had been there since... Uh, 64 years earlier. Willie Moscone had won the world championship 15 times. He had held the record for the highest number of successive balls pocketed, 526 balls, without missing. Like Joe DiMaggio, 56-game hitting streak, this is a feat that has never been surpassed. Moscone so dominated the field during the first of his championship that the newspaper men immediately proclaimed him as one of the best players ever. This was not hyperbole, nor breathless hype. It was prescient. Willie Moscone 
This guy is the face of the sport. And Minnesota Fats is the real bar fly that comes up and disturbs his legacy. And he's saying the author here for the whole first chapter, there are very few cases when a player becomes bigger than the sport, but Willie Moscone, this guy is pool in the 70s. This is the story of Poole's greatest champion, a man born under a special star, a man who conquered and ruled, but then became separated from his kingdom. He was terrible and cruel, but also great. He lived by a code, and he defended it. And this is also the story of American Pocket Billiards, a game of unfolding patterns, mesmerizing colors, balls interlocking and scattered. The game is played by thieves and marked by cruelty, but its heroes possess untold skill. And finally, this is a story of a trickster, one of the greatest in American histories, one of one who cannot tell the story of a great champion, Willie Moscone, and that of modern American pop billiards without the court jester, a hustler named Minnesota Fats. There's one more main character. This guy kind of falls off quick. Charles Userti. He's like an average pool room loafer, but he was the glue that held the sport together during the biggest rivalry. As a fan, Charles Userti, he would bring the best new talents to Willie Moscone. Hey, you guy think he's uh, worthy to play? October 22nd, 1977, Charles finally found someone to give Moscone a run for his money. Bruce Christopher, a.k.a. Super Stroker, an up-and-comer in New York City, allegedly won $70,000 in a tournament, and now he's making five grand a weekend hustling on the streets. Minnesota Fats, he's the biggest known hustler at the time, but Charles is going to set up a match between Willie and Super Stroker. Fats, he actually came to the tournament as well. So Fatty comes into town and we meet him. And of course, he's very jovial, cordial, funny. I think Fats is in town for a day or two, and we go have dinner with him. We're laughing and talking, and I says to Fats, I says, Fatty, I have this idea. You're the legendary hustler, right? And the kid goes, well, I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records, and I just beat Mahara. Here's the young hustler today. What if I did a match between the two of yous and try to get you on TV? So Fats is going, all right, Junior, if you could hook this up between me and Moscone, let's let it happen. And you know, over 330 pages, we don't get to see the final event until the very end, of course. Charles sets up the tournament. In the meantime, Super Stroker plays Moscone, gets blown out of the water. Moscone was an elitist. He was published in billiards clubs. He has his own uh, to-do videos. Fats and... Christopher, Superstroker, they're just men on the streets trying to find the next dollar. Uh, John Quincy Adams, there we got some history. He was the first president to put a pool table in the White House. Abe Lincoln said, Pool is a scientific game lending recreation to the otherwise fatigued minds of Americans. So this is the big subtext of the book. Is pool for the streets or is pool... A sport that belongs in the castles of French royalty. What do you think? The great unwashed, they can't play our sport of tabletop pool. Or is it for bar flies and scumbags? <laughs> so you're going to have to pick a side today. Pool, is it posh? I think we could all agree, though. Pool, it ain't for women. <laughs> in the early 1700s, Women successfully got billiards banned. Men were playing too much pool. They spent too much time at the pub. So these broads, what are you doing? You got to pay attention to the farm. So what if I gambled the deed to the farm on a game of nine ball? <laughs> it's my right as an American. 
<laughs> it was actually banned in the 1710s billiards. Bro, isn't that wild? I think if the Salvation Army, if dudes were spending too much time there, women would get the Salvation Army outlawed. You're spending too much time away from me. That's illegal. <laughs> isn't that wild, though? A sport was illegal. Pool. And they tried to say it was the gambling, but they took the tables away completely. Thomas Jefferson, he even had a pool table at Monticello, but since it was illegal, he would disguise the pool table as a desk during office hours. <laughs> even the president had to play by the rules. Moving to chapter two, prohibition. Back to 1977, the tournament day comes with Babyface, they're paying $200 a ticket. And that was Super Stroker, actually. But the point here is that, yo, pool sells tickets. We could charge $200 and people are showing up. So what it becomes is we're going to hype up Fats and keep Willie Moscone as the face of the sport and see if Fats can take him down in a, in a decade. So they start hiring the fight promoters from, like, Muhammad Ali. They get the best fight promoters in America to start hyping up the game of pool. Fats has been doing his own publicity. It's Moscone that needs the hype. I, I don't have a side here. I'm just saying what the author was saying. So they, the crowd, they just wanted to interact with Fats the entire time. Someone shouted out, What's the most you ever played for? Fats says, I once played Happy the Chinaman for 50 grand. And won. The crowd goes wild. And bro, I just saw yesterday... It's in my algorithm now. An American chick played a uh, Filipino chick and it got 5 million views on YouTube. So maybe Pool is getting a push again. Why are you letting him go on like that? Moscone seethes, turning to your city. Moscone cannot stand this. He absolutely cannot. And it was then, just as the vein had begun to pop out of Willie's forehead, that Userti remembered the magic words. They came from a member of the audience. Another question for the fat man. Did you ever play Moscone? crickets everybody's like wait, wait wait why is super stroker playing moscone we want to see fats play moscone the silent lasted a moment and just a moment it was like a sudden whooshing vacuum had enveloped the room like the air had been sucked out leaving only an unsettling anticipation of what comes next bro i've bombed so hard that it sucked the air out of the room i've bombed so hard that it sounded like a flashbang was going off <coughs> nobody knew where they were so people want to see the two champs play, but they're getting smart to what's going on. Hey, they're just putting little hustlers up against the champ. We want to see Fats take them down. Your said he remembered it. Christopher remembered it. The audience must have felt it. Did you ever play Moscone? The audience member repeated. Fats incredibly seemed to have lost his voice. Incredibly, he seemed to have been taken aback. Here, he must choose his words carefully. Moscone, the old lion, sat in his back, glowering. His eager fans sat before him, waiting. It was a moment fraught both peril and promise for Minnesota Fats. Willie Moscone and all of American Pool. Fats took a breath and then answered indirectly, I played them all. So it turns into a screaming match. You might have played them all, but you didn't beat them all. And they get up in each other's faces. They have to be separated. So these guys aren't playing today, but the industry reps, they got exactly what they wanted. Sell their commercial money to try to get Super Stroker his big start. This guy doesn't go anywhere further in the rest of the story. But it turns into fight promoting. <laughs> they're not going to settle the beef today, but they're going to set up something that's the biggest match. 
So at that tournament, Fats beat Superstroker. So that put an end to the Young Hustler. But the cat's out of the bag. Everyone wants to see Fats vs. Moscone. Moscone, he comes from a pool family. He's like a rich New Yorker. He used to sneak down the fire escape into the family's pool room after dark. He said he grew up playing straight pool, which means, you know, you could pocket any ball. That's how he went on a 500-ball run. And Fats grew up playing eight ball, which leads people to believe he has the upper hand. But again, they say that eight ball is mostly luck because you don't get to actually position your ball as much. You're shooting around the other players' balls. But anyway, no children were allowed in pool halls during their... This is the prohibition chapter. So Moscone's father... He had his own pool table, but Fats's dad would dress him up in his own clothes and take him out to the pool halls. He was like an eight-year-old in a double XL coat shooting pool. The only thing Fats wanted to do as a kid was play pool. He told his dad he wanted to be the sultan of the sport. Fats was quoted saying, I was born growed up. <laughs> Moscone's parents wanted him to be on Broadway. And he's going, that ate away at my training time. I could have been even better. Two men would grow up to embody the sport, sultans and scoundrels. 1977, Charles contacting the biggest fight promoters. That's when the match takes place, but let's get some more history. During those days between January 16, 1920 and December 5, 1933, during Prohibition, one finds the pure embodiment of American uniting, culture war. I didn't say that right. The unending the culture war. The fucking culture war, man. It's an election year. <laughs> but look hard at this failed experiment that was prohibition. At the placard carrying moralists and the violence and the drunkards and the whole sorry contradiction that uh, resided in the soul of pocket billiards. A sport that had never truly understood itself. The teetotalers went to war with the hellraisers. Self-mastery and Saturnalia vied for the upper hand. And like a tiny reflection of this great national zeitgeist, we find a contradictory sport marked by both excessive appetites and puritanical aspirations. So it's just like America. You have the hoity-toity pool players, and then the excessive appetites, the fats versus the Puritans. As with Prohibition generally, the great protagonist of Poole waged tireless war against the improper. Like the age itself, Poole is marked by rogues and those who would exert over themselves towering levels of self-control. Hmm. What is mere coincidence, or was there some cause and effect behind the curious fact that Poole was near the height of its popularity? Was it mere coincidence that the two most celebrated players, Willie Moscone and Minnesota Fats, both came up during the age of Prohibition? Was it mere coincidence that we find the same startling dichotomy of high-minded ideals and wanton recklessness in the character of these two players? The culture war will not stand for that phrase, wanton recklessness. No other age better exemplifies America's unending culture war, and no other age better exemplifies the noble sport of pocket billiards. It is as if the age served as both the game's mother and its father. And now the two of these guys are playing at the height of the 70s, another major chapter in the culture war. It's like these two were cosmically aligned to take the sport to the next level. A lot of Americans attribute our win in World War I to sobriety, 
and this gave the upper class the hitting stick in terms of pool being for the rich, well, we only won World War I because we got sober. So that means pool is for sober people. So guess what happens again? Again, in 1919, the Women's Christian Temperance Movement got pool banned in the state of Texas. <laughs> in the days when joblessness defined America, you got the new up-and-comer Alton Whitlow, a.k.a. Babyface, he starts the whole trick shot trend. Oh, so we're not allowed to play pool against each other? Okay, we'll do a, a trick shot championship. And they find ways around it so they don't have to go home and talk to their family. <laughs> so this kept the sport alive through the 20s up to 1933. They're all doing trick shots, but everyone was ready to start playing pool again. Pool, when played correctly, resem resembles excellence. So before they were saying... It's the Puritans with their self-control versus the drunkards. Well, if you want to play pool, even if you're a hustler, you're going to need excellence. Consider this. In what other sport does a human being exert more control over a ball? Not basketball, baseball, not bowling. It's straight pool, nine ball and eight ball. It's the pocketless variability of pool where a great player must have a sense, a very clear sense of where and how three balls will move and cease to move. Muscle memory, touch, speed, control. As much of the scoundrels and the speakeasies, these things define pocket billiards. Like the decade itself and even the American people in the nation's history, the American pool room is defined by subjugation and wildness, good breeding and bad. Moscone only represents one side of that equation. So, Prohibition chapter, there's nothing inherently wrong with a game. I'm saying, if men were spending too much time donating, donating would be illegal. You gotta give time to the wife. <laughs> chapter 3, Hustlers University. Me and Top G Andrew Tate, here to teach you how to play pool. Hustlers traffic in impatience, ignorance, greed, and ego. Their tools are personal charm, an understanding of odds, an innate sense of human psychology, and an adaptability to deceived. Hustlers can victimize better players, or they can victimize lesser ones. They can victimize members of the general public. The most low down of the hustling tribe can even cannibalize his own financial backers. Hustlers employ a myriad of different techniques, but most represent simple variations of two broad strategies. The first is simply to play on the lemon, which means to mask one's true ability by purposefully making position errors, scratching, missing balls. A player on the lemon might typically win, but only just barely, or he might win slightly more games than just the other fellow, or the hustler might win only when the stakes have grown to his liking. The second broad strategy is sharking, and this is when a hustler behaves in a disruptive or disconcerting way to throw his opponent off. This can be as subtle as removing one's handkerchief while an opponent is shooting. It can be as overt as making physical threats. Sometimes the player getting sharked doesn't even realize he's being sharked. Take, for example, those sometimes very funny hustlers who disarm their opponents with nonstop jokes and pratfalls. So you could either go big dog, you could shark someone, or you could pretend to be a lemon. Typically, the hustler's relentless crowing, 
crowing combined with his seeming ineptitude will lure in a mark and typically this mark will be some sort of local pool room hero who would be utterly helpless against a professional if the hustler has done his work the local's own pride will drive up the wager while his ire will unbalance his shot making hence the big hurrah is the perfect combination of sharking and hustling the hustle also rewards an inerrant uh, player like fats who then neither has the desire nor the patience to stick around any single pool room for too long Flit in, piss off the helpless locals, take the money, clear out. So we got Babyface. He was the Prohibition trick shot guy. Give me a second here. Babyface was the respected elder. While Fats and Moscone were coming up, and Babyface had an eye for new talent, he wanted to see Fats versus Moscone. So the only time they ever played was set up by Babyface. This was like in the 30s. Apparently Moscone and Fats played five games. And then Moscone accused Fats of playing on the lemon. And he's like, I never want to play with you again. So the two of them never touched the pool table again together. Fats was an aggressive one-pocket player, a top player in his youth, and sometimes sank five or six in quick succession. He was also an expert banker and would go for an eight or victories bang 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 and beat players by not giving them an opportunity to shoot he could play defense too he understood the strange patterns of one pocket and he loved them he could go three rails sometimes fats during the 30s and 40s was not a man to be trifled with at the game Moscone, for his part was also an aggressive player but he did not have fats understanding of the sometimes counterintuitive patterns of one pocket neither did he respectfully at it spend so much time studying it with any seriousness so that's why he got in that fight in 1977. Moscone was like, you didn't win. I quit, technically. Babyface set me up. I didn't know who I was playing against. You sharked me. So they have unsettled beef. The rich man got hustled. The score needs to be settled. In hindsight, Moscone denies that he ever played Fats. He's going, Fats... Yeah, that guy couldn't beat a drum. Happy the Chinaman. I'd play him. Bro, at the Sundown Saloon, I was playing billiards for a while. Once I saw someone do a masse shot, I was like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> this is way out of my league. Dudes are curving the balls around other balls. I'm not playing for money anymore. At this time, the 1950s were at. This was when ABC first aired the worldwide world of sports. Wide world of sports. So they started out with uh, like weightlifting, figure skating. But that's more Russian. They're doing barrel rolling over there. The worldwide of sports is kind of how we get the football, baseball type of thing. They really tried to push handball, handball and pool. But neither of those stuck. It wasn't until the 1960s when we have ESP1 and ESPN2. That's when you kind of see the sports hierarchy play out. And now we got ESPN the Ocho, where you could watch Swiss cheese rolling and Italian flaming fist fights. <laughs> the Ocho. But yeah, pool wasn't a big enough draw for prime time. But it was a staple for the wide uh, world of sports. And I'm saying they're getting 5 million views on YouTube now. But that probably took a billion impressions. And I get 200 impressions on my videos, even though I have almost 4,000 subscribers. It's all fair. 
At the beginning of the century, the Brunswick Company sold tables as fast as the company produced them from eight distinct factories. It had offices in 27 cities, plus five dealer rooms in Canada and even more in London, Paris, Buenos Aires, Honolulu, and Mexico City. Journalist Rick Kogan, writing in Brunswick, the story of an American company, notes that at one time Brunswick owned more than 40,000 acres of timberland near Lake Superior and was the world's largest user of hardwood. The company owned a sawmill, a lumber camp, uh, boarding houses, repair shops, a small railroad, steamboats, slate quarries. It produced 400,000 cues each year and could produce 6,000 more if needed. The company created more pool tables during the 1920s than American piano manufacturers created pianos. At one time, the company controlled 75% of raw material and 85% of the market. <laughs> pool tables made up 75% of the wood market. What were they living under their pool tables? <laughs> They were the instigators of billiards, says Newell, the CEO. So all I'm saying this chapter is that all it takes to launch a sport or a product or a star is coverage. Impressions, as YouTube calls it. Chapter 4, Fat Chance. Fats beat the Shah of Iran before there was ever any Shah or Iran. So these are the local legends about fats that he was spreading. Flats, <laughs> Flats clobbered the Kaiser in World War I and humiliated the Fuhrer in World War II. Flats flew to every city in the world twice and went down with the ship three times. Fats shot craps atop the Brooklyn Bridge. Fats swam the ocean with Moby Dick. This is, however, when Moby Dick was a guppy. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Fats... He rose again. Some Americans, many of them, in fact, actually believed Fats could win. Not that he would win, not that he was a sure thing or a favorite, but that he could. Fatty, after all, was wily. He was a hustler, the best ever, according to his own claims. And wasn't pocket billiards a game of hustlers? Wasn't it possible that Minnesota Fats could spring some devious trap? As soon as ABC started running the promos and the advertisements began, so do did the speculation. Fats had something up his sleeve, some secret deception, as he would produce the deception at just the right moment, rope-a-dope style. He would surprise the world. In schoolyards, a country clubs, men and boys asked aloud the same tantalizing question, could Minnesota Fats succeed? There's another tall tale. Fats said that he played pool with the Shah, and he went to the palace. He's going, they had like a 15-foot table. But this was at the same time Moscone on video camera went on his 526 ball run. So you got tall tales versus truth. The author took 50 pages here to tell the story of the hustler. You got to go watch that good pool movie as well as the color of money. But Fats in that movie is played by Jackie Gleason. And this become a whole friggin' thing. It's disputed whether or not the movie was based on him directly. So then Willie, at the beginning of the big match, he's going, well, actually, I spent some time with the director, and he said his movie was entirely fictional. So now Fats isn't having it. You're trying to take the legacy away? Because Fats said he met with Jackie Gleason in Miami, and he's going, did I take care of you? Did I portray you right in the movie? Nobody knows. Is Fats really Minnesota Fats and the Hustler? Let's get to the shootout. 
They go for five games, nine ball, eight ball, rotation, straight pool, and one pocket. Nine ball came first. Moscone, he pockets nothing off the break. Fat starts lining him up. One, two, three down. Willie snaps back, sinks four through nine, wins the first game. Willie, he likes to play in silence, but Fats, he's sharking him. You think an old man can hold the pool cue? He's starting to shake a little bit. Willie, he's up two games, and then he scuffs a shot with the bridge. You know that secondary cue you're allowed to use? He finally got into Moscone's head. He's coming back two to one, two to two. Moscone, he finds his groove again. He's up four to two in nine ball. Then he finally wins. That's done. <laughs> so that's the first match point. Moscone is up. Fats is down. Let's go over to eight ball. Moscone goes on record saying that eight ball is the game of luck. And this is supposed to take away from Fats. This is his best game. Well, it's just based on luck. And Fats responds by throwing $1,000 on the table. The officials, they get up at his throat. No, 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 the cash prize is only 15000 Put your cash away. Could have made it more interesting. But yeah, Moscone, this is when he starts breaking out his masse shots. He's curving them around the balls. It's 2-0, two 2-1, to 3-1. Zero, two to one, three to one. Moscone is up. Fats breaks the momentum. He gets him at 3-2. Four to two, five to two. Moscone is back in the lead. Eight ball over. Moscone wins two zero. At this point, the wide world of sports ends the match. They go well. Actually, eight ball was fat specialty. It's over. They end the biggest shul pool shootout ever early. It's on YouTube. You could go watch it. But they just end the match, bro. It's like a Floyd Mayweather starts to lose a little bit. Call the match. Send it to decision. Let the let him decide that Floyd is undefeated. Yeah, bro, it was not a fair competition. You could go watch it. <laughs> but Willie Moscone, he claimed pool for the posh. He's the champion. And again, I think it was done on purpose because now this gives Fats plausible deniability. Well, we never actually finished the game. And then Moscone could keep going on being the champ. And then the promoters, ESPN, they get to now sell part two of the infamous shootout, which never happens. Fats is like, I can make more money on the streets. I'm just risking my legacy here. And they're not even letting him play a fair game. So maybe that's why they made Fats look like a good guy in The Hustler, even though that came before. I'm just spitballing here. But yeah, drawing it back to uh, entertainment as we end it, like, if you notice a live streamer on Twitch or a YouTuber that goes live, if they get more views than they expect, you cut the stream early because now you could do another stream and hope that all those people tune in. That's what ESPN tried to do, but everyone's like, nah, we're just going to watch football. <laughs> so, yeah, ESPN, while they did try to bring the sport to the next level, they cut it off early because they thought they could sell more tickets in the pat in the future. Should have just let the boys play. But what do you think? Is pool a game for the posh? The hustler or the champ? Was it a fluke? Is Moscone the, really the champ or is it Fats? I have one more question. Why can't some players call their shots? Because they're afraid of pickpocketing. <laughs> there you guys have it. The hustler and the champ by R.A. Dyer.
Once again, thank you to Clay for recommending this one. Check out the shootout on YouTube. You could go watch history. This was a fun one. I wouldn't have read this book unless it was recommended. Uh, maybe we'll read another pool book in the future. I didn't get to share my pool history. That was a fun one. Thank you guys for tuning in. R.A. Daya, the champ. Next week on the show, we got a mystery edition. Uh, we just did on the Patreon, a Poison Like No Other. It was a book about microplastics, and I kind of went off the rails. <laughs> not really, but it was not YouTube friendly. So go sign up on the Patreon if you want to hear about that. Going deep on the Patreon all year. Once again, thank you to the Knicker for tuning in. More American culture coming up in seven short days. Nick Muniz signing off. Peace!